Hello and welcome to the Mountain Gazette Library. I'm John Boozdar, and this week, we proudly present the writings of Katie Lee, activist, environmentalist, folk singer, river runner, and writer. Enjoy, enjoy the great American West, what's left of it. October on top of Half Dome, the whole Sierra was blanketed with a foot of snow. I had just entered a pleasantly empty subway car. And the next thing you know, you're in this calm, calm water. When you know who you are, when you get in touch with yourself, you don't have choices. So I think as a journalist right now, you have a lot of opportunity to really put across quality work that will stand out in a sea of a lot of garbage. If I've learned anything about life balance, it would be that the no balance balance is where it's at. <laughs> Episode 3, The Ride by Katie Lee for Mountain Gazette 78. Mountain Gazette Library is proudly presented by Steo. Designed, developed, and tested at the base of the Tetons in Jackson Hole, Wyoming, Steel was founded to inspire connection with the outdoors through premium technical apparel for the epic and everyday. Learn more at Steel.com. S-T-I-O.com. Steel. Let the outside in. This episode is also brought to you in association with Gordini. Gordini has been redefining the cold weather experience through outdoor gear and glove innovation for more than 66 years. Based in Vermont, family run and independently owned, Gordini has focused on the same mission since its founding in 1956 to keep you outside longer. From introducing the first ever down and leather ski mitts to launching the industry's first dual layer ski sock, Gordini believes that the future is in our hands and now, our feet. Innovation is always done in the spirit of progress. See what drives our product and our passion at Gordini.com. G-O-R-D-I-N-I.com. It was the hottest day of the year when I decided to do it. Sure as hell it wasn't anything planned in advance. Intuition works best in a case like this. I remember dreaming up something similar a year or so back and threatening that I would do it someday. But the notion didn't even get out of bed with me that morning. I was still deep into the sorrow of loss. He was such a wonderful friend, such a joyful man, full of life and living it, of love and giving it. He could torch you up with a sense of humor, fire your laughter, until you peed your pants to put it out. An artist, a sensationalist, and I suspect a creative lover as well. Gentle, a listener, a man who treated women the way he handled his sculptures, molding, caressing, teasing them into creatures of beauty and supple grace until they glowed with life they didn't know they possessed. I watched that happen with more than one of many women friends, women he'd never made love to, women he saw every day in his shop, in the shop next door, all around town, really. Everyone knew him. It's a small town, less than 500 of us then, about three years after his move from the big rotten apple to this little burg that he so loved tiptoeing quietly towards another peak in his creative talent, not with money in mind this time, only love, with all the freedom to do whatever he chose, whenever he wanted, and with whomever. A generous heart betrayed him. Harvey up and died. And the heat moved in. 
We held a memorial for him in the park, a big one. Everybody came, brought food, drink, and things to say and remember about him. Our town is still one that lets its folks express their grief in their own way. Lay it out and mix it up so it doesn't hurt so much. No preachers, just all of us talking about him, telling stories of our time with him, things he said, things he did, what he meant to us. Harvey's spirit was right there that day, moving among us, telling us to get on with it, laughing at us, caressing us. And we knew it. For me, it was really tough because I had to sing his favorite song. I ain't no Judy Garland. I can't sob and sing at the same time. And I was holding tight a big, aching bubble as I tried to get the words out. Then I felt Harvey pat me on the bum, right in the middle, right in the hardest part, hardest part of the song, not my bum. And through my tears, I almost ended up laughing, which is no better than crying when you're trying to sing. Then the heat bore down. The first year he was here, he was my next door neighbor. I won't forget the day he first walked down the street in front of my gate with a couple of his friends. I was out watering the nematodes that like to make my carrots into funny little men with penises and hair all over them. When he stopped laughing at whatever his friends had said, turned his flax blue, slightly bulging eyes on me and supposed, oh, you must be the loving lady. Loving as opposed to lovely, I noted right away, and he knew that I noted, which is what blew me away, the lady I'm going to live next door to. Harvey had class. Lamb a loving lady, though I try hard to disguise it, which is why a lot of people don't call me a lady, could care less. I've always maintained for those who believe in such a messy psychic's moon shine that being a Scorpio, right there on the cusp of a Libra, the balance of the scales keeps me from being a total bitch. Give me a break. Harvey did. He sure enough rented the house next door. Every morning from his back deck when I came out with a cup of coffee, he'd wing his sweet morning greetings across my yard. Howdy do, Miss Katie Lou. You feeling fine today? He never started working until after nine o'clock because his electric sanders and shapers and drills would make too much noise. A caring man among his other talents like he loved Music, jazz, folk, Cuban, he played it bendingly, not at 2,000 decibels like some twist and are built like a Greek auditorium town do. By the time I returned from my morning ride, I'd find him nearly smothered in clouds of alabaster and marble dust tooling away at some beautiful sculptures he was creating. He'd asked me to come over and check it out, see if it looked alright. Wow, he sure didn't need my two bits. His pieces were always elegant. Never mind that it was a media he never worked in before. His imagination was limitless. His gift, divine. Then he bought a broken down little house up the mountain a ways with an outbuilding he can make into a studio and began its renovation like a dotting father building a dollhouse for his beloved daughter. I don't think a nail or a board went into that place without his kiss or his blessing on it. That I'd be happy there, happy like he was. And thank you very much for being such a beautiful piece of wood 
and from coming from such a fine tree in such a lovely forest. But where, Harvey? I don't know, but it's a fine tree. Just look at that lovely, graceful, and ooh, sensuous grain. Keyword, Harvey was indeed a sensationalist. He had an open jeep, like a runt of a thing, it seemed for a guy as a big boned and tall as he was. Drove it with his girlfriend through the rain or shine, snow or hail, through forest and desert. In summertime, all over the back roads, windshield down, canvas up, tootling up and down the mountains in his hair suit and shorts, his ponytail straight out in the slipstream winter. It was khaki's jacket and headband, maybe with a top up, maybe not. Rarely did I see the side curtains except on the floor of his studio. About a week before he flipped his coin for the other side, I stopped by a shop with some friends to show them the lovely things he made. I often did that, especially after he'd grown a new wig bubble and made something that nobody ever dreamed about. It was ladders this time, crazy ladders, like some that might have come from a ceremonial kiva back a thousand years ago, except they were so beautifully and imaginatively carved they'd have to have been used by a shaman for special initiation purposes twinning snakes and lizards slithering up the rails and the whole Pueblo villages on the rungs that you stepped between as you went up from the desert floor to the mountains near the top. They were transcendental. His blue bulb seemed to be dancing to extra potent jazz that day. He pulled me into the corner and whispered, just got back from the apple, baby. I dropped a shitload of problems back there that I won't ever have to deal with anymore. I'm never going back. Wow, do I feel great. I was happy for him. Knowing how he hated going to New York for anything, except to show his rare field Arizona girlfriend something she'd never need to worry about missing. After the memorial, the heat became grotesque. Nothing short of our main street knee deep in rattlesnakes will keep the damn tourists out of shopkeepers. We're kvetching and moaning, no business. Never mind that most of them came here as artists or flower children to enjoy life, grow a little bit of pot on the back deck, and just incidentally make enough to pay the bills before they opted for a chamber of commerce, after which violation, as Ed Abbey said, you can kiss your town goodbye. Friends were snapping at each other like loony birds in a tank of toxins, and the humidity was wet down a comforter under a 110 degree heating pad. Even at 8 o'clock in the morning, pulling on my light gray shorts and top was sticky chore. That's when I decided to do it. I ride my bicycle up the mountain about three miles from the house five days a week before the traffic gets repulsive, if possible. I've been doing it for almost 30 years, so people are used to it and pay me no mind. I had the first mountain bike in town. 1980, I think, when I was 60 years old, and I took all the outlying cow paths with some sort of joy and devil-may-care, as Harvey did with his Jeep 15 years later. That morning was no different with regard to the Jeux de Vie. I always loved the ride because of the canyon. Once I get above town, the rocks are so beautifully cruel. Deep maroon, red, and orange, and pale sheeny green. 
the ragged pinnacles and spires spit from the pit of the earth into great ridges and crevices that time can't seem to smooth over. The smell of juniper and mountain earth is heady under early morning sun before cars and motorcycles take over the highway with their noxious fumes. And there's something, creek rippling below the winding road, where canyon wrens sing the sweet song down the scale. All this adds up to perfection, or as close as you can get to it on a paved road. It's my meditation time too, that ride. I sort out everything for the day, the week, sometimes the month. It's where I learn the lyrics to new songs up, on up, to a rhythm of the pedals turning, where I find inspiration for a story, a show, a letter, or a melody. And the reward? All downhill at 25 miles per hour, cooling the sweat, blowing through my helmet, down my back and neck, even through my shoes. Yahoo! So... 8 o'clock. I got on my track and pedaled up through town. Didn't stop at the P.O. for my mail. It wasn't in yet, besides which I was looking very hard for special little nooks and hidey holes that could assist me on my way back down. My heart was beating a bit faster than usual. The adrenaline of anticipation already started. I must not have been paying close attention to everything like I usually do because the beep from behind me startled me. After 30 years, I can hear cars coming both ways before they get anywhere near me. It's an acoustic mountain. I can identify locals from tourists and tune in the driving mood of the day. There is one, you know, fast or slow, frantic or relaxed that infects the whole road like a virus. That day, it was relaxed. Nobody on the road but me. The beeper wasn't a local. They don't beep, so I looked in my bike mirror and saw Harvey's Jeep. I've been thinking about him so hard, my sadness turning to giggles as I rode, picturing what a hoot he would get out of this capper that for a second I just accepted it. When I remembered him being gone, I nearly fell off my bike. But it wasn't his Jeep, just some slow driving, far more than ordinary polite dude trying not to run me over. I got to my rock under the tree, ducked in, sat down, and poured half of the water bottle over my head, cooling down. I rested there in the shade for about 15 minutes. Even so, my heartbeat was so much faster than usual. So, 9.15. I had chosen my spot on the way up. As I zoomed down the mountain through the upper residential section to the turnoff that goes to the open pit, I was so exhilarated, so hyperventilated, that the wind made me shiver. No one in front of me, good. No one behind me, even better. Very few cars on the main street, the only level spot in town, and I didn't see anyone walking the street. I darted in behind Robbie's antique ore truck, yanked off my lycra, everything but helmet, socks, shoes, mounted the trek, buck ass, and pedaled furiously through the center of town, past the P.O., past the shops, the bars, town hall, police office, oh oh, never had I seen our town marshal, as he liked to be called, out in front of a cop shop, but there he was, in a blur, talking with someone besides him. 
He looked up, automatically began a wave. Hello, double take Katie. I was gone. Faster than working the brakes, no more level ground as I passed Harvey's empty shop. I looked up and cried out, Harvey, this is for you, Harvey. Bye bye. The last half mile to my front gate, I was laughing so hard I could hardly steer and hoping to hell no one would pull out in front of me. When up came Wally, one of our town crew in the front loader. You got this? There was no passing. Two lane roads barely in behind him was a whole string of tourists, 10 or more cars long, chugging along at three miles an hour. Yo, what an opportunity. Ollie, I yelled as I sailed by. Welcome to blank. You cannot have the name. You won't like it here. In my mirror, I saw arms flapping out windows and a couple got out and stared downhill, not at all sure of what they'd just seen. My uperious laughter had turned to streaming tears and coughing by the time I hooked a Yui in the front of my gate, hauled in, decked the bike, headed for the shower, where I sat down under the spray and howled. Still wired and laughing, my tummy sore from it, I dressed, got in my car, and drove uptown. I knocked on the police chief's door, walked in, and said, You want to arrest me, Ray? He looked at me, shook his head, and sucked in the corners of his mouth to keep from laughing. I thought about it, he said. Well, what exactly would I do? Yeah, that could pose a problem, I answered, picturing him chasing me down with a cop car getting out, yanking me off the bike, steering me onto the seat nudo, and driving me up to the office. Phones are ringing like crazy, as was his. You certainly gave the town something to talk about. That was the objective of the exercise, Ray. Everybody's so damn glum, they need something to distract them. Besides, hardly anybody saw me. There weren't more than three or four people in the street. Enough. I took a consensus and asked them, Well, is anyone deeply offended? Only the retarded son of one of our Emporium owners raised his hand and said, I am. So I told him to go chase you down the hill and tell you so. His phone was still ringing. Ray ignored it. You gonna make this an annual event, he queried. Absolutely not. I like to quit when I'm ahead. Meanwhile... I'm going to enjoy what all the hard noses have to say. The old farts who need their blood stirred up. As for my friends, they'll just laugh their butts off. There was, as expected, quite a reaction notes. Phone calls and letters. Only one anonymous, which wasn't really bad. The next day, tacked up on the post office bulletin board, there appeared an ode to me and my stunt. And folks were smiling again. The town had lightened up, and I had purged the heavy loss of our dear Harvey. Before the weekend, it rained and cooled the town down right smart. I ran into my friend Maud Bob at the P.O. and stopped to chat. Underplaying it, he eyed me sideways from beneath his brow and sneaky-like whispered, I saw you. Oh yeah? I didn't see you. Where were you? Sitting on the bench. In front. Out there, by Nelly Bly, he missered it out, one word at a time. Hollered, but you weren't looking. Nope, I laughed. I was kind of in a hurry. Uh-huh, 
You think anybody got any photos? God, I sure hope not. Yeah, alright. Then he looks at me straight on, eyes dancing, his face nearly fractured by his smile and says, Because I thought you had your backpack on backwards. The nerve of that boy. The Mountain Gazette Library is produced and hosted by me, John Boostar. For more, head over to mountaingazette.com slash subscribe today and pick up a subscription to the magazine. This podcast is executive produced by Mike Rogge, marketing by Austin Holt, produced by Connor Sedmak, social media by Amy Doran, and public relations by Ryan Rowe. No part of this podcast may be reproduced without written permission from Mountain Gazette and its parent company, Verb Cabin, LLC.